0: it's Shalacia Harris, your host of Buzzworthy. Join me as I sit down with entrepreneurs to talk about their innovative businesses and their unique stories. Remember to follow us on social at Hamilton Hive on all platforms and don't forget to rate our podcast. Let's jump into today's story. Hey everyone, we are here today with Tamar from Kawaha Company and he's got an amazing story and I can't wait for us to dive into it today. Um, You will certainly feel Tamar's energy and we'll talk about when he started um, his journey as an entrepreneur and where he is now. So buckle in everyone. So Tamar, thanks for joining us today. Um, It's a pleasure to meet you and sit down and have this conversation.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Amazing. So the first question I like to start off with, with all of our entrepreneurs is what inspired you to become an entrepreneur and what do you think set you up to do that?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I think it was being inquisitive at a young age. Uh, so I started uh, web designing and, and designing graphics uh, probably at age like 13 to 15, around that age range. Um, and, you know, I was just really interested in technology and computers and, and kind of kept diving deeper and deeper and deeper until one day I realized, hey, I could, you know, sell this as a service or like someone someone needs something that I can do on the computer. And, you know, it's you're a kid charging uh, a rate, you just kind of come up with, it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll do that for $30 or I'll set up your computer for $30 or yeah, you want a website. I'll do it for 150 bucks back in the day where websites were just kind of text-based, um, you know, pages on, on, on the internet. And, uh, that kind of grew into, okay, I've done this multiple times. I've had kind of the, Experience now. I think I can charge a little bit more. And okay, let me go read about, you know, um, pricing, or let me go trying to figure something else out that I'm kind of interesting uh, interested in. So I've always been flip flopping around te- technology, trying to get a better understanding of, you know, tech as as a whole and like growing with technology um, over the past, I would say, 15, 15 years.
0: Wow that's an age where most kids are doing other things what were your friends doing at this time
1: yeah my friends were sleeping while i was coding so that was great um so i used to code early in the mornings i always used to be an early riser so i used to wake up 6 7 a.m saturday watch some cartoons but then kind of get uh, messing around with the computer uh and, uh, by the time everybody kind of woke up at ten, 11, we'd go, you know, play basketball at the park or do some other stuff. And when we come back home, uh, do a little bit of coding and, uh, play video games. So in between the times where, you know, other kids were doing other things other than us hanging out together, I was, uh, being busy.
0: Wow, that's impressive because I think a lot of people, even as entrepreneurs and as adults, we don't necessarily have that great routine and that rhythm and discipline to wake up so early in the morning. I remember for a long time, I was trying to wake up at 6am and it was a struggle. Um, And we hear about you know, having to wake up at 5 a.m. That's the time CEOs and these really successful people wake up in the morning. Was there something about that, like hindsight, that you think set you up to be more successful as you continued?
1: Honestly, it's just uh, forming the habit uh, at a very, very young age. Uh, So I used to wake up at 5-ish, 6 a.m., to go to school, uh, before we moved to Canada. Uh, and that kind of formed into the habit it is now. And, uh, not to say that everybody should be waking up at five or 6 AM. I think everybody's a little bit different. And, uh, you know, I know people that are night owls that would rather start, start a project at 1 AM and then, you know, end at 4 AM and go to sleep and then wake up at noon and start their day. So everybody's a little bit different. Uh, it's ultimately how you schedule uh, your time.
0: Mm-hmm. And how you're using it productively. Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. So what gave you the confidence to say, I can charge for my services as a teenager?
1: Well, I think it was, I mean, a little bit uh, being boisterous and, and full of yourself. Uh, but also um, understanding that people have a need. And when people have a need and a want, uh, they'll, they'll pay for something. That you can provide for them. So that was one of the earliest lessons I think I learned is um, knowing people's pain points, and if you can solve it, you can charge for it. And a lot of hit and miss, right? Someone might be willing to pay, you know, fifty dollars or five hundred dollars, for example. And it's uh, finding your 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 target market, and that's obviously frantically different from a fifteen to sixteen-year-old now to a, you know, plus thirty. Uh, and and beyond it's uh, a different target market that we're playing in but it's also um, a lot of people weren't as informed about technology i would say back in the day so they just didn't care or, or didn't know how and they didn't have youtube or something else like i still have stacks of books of you know html and like css3 when it first came out I remember printing out the spec for uh, CSS3 which is a, a styling language which how websites are styled um, and I was like wow this is amazing look at all the new cool things that I could go in and try and implement and uh, you know that is, is kind of the the um, the path right of, of understanding your clients.
0: Mm-hmm. I think what you said um, in the beginning was Quite fundamental is that you identified a problem people have, and that's the beginning stages of any business is solving a problem itself. And a lot of people, I think that want to become business owners. You know, there are a lot of businesses that can be replicated and easy to do that. But you have to find, like you said, your target market. As you evolved in your business and you got people to trust you, they started paying you to build their websites. How did you refine that target market? How did you go about that?
1: At first, it was a little difficult. You know, I could build a website for whoever wanted it. Um, but then I realized that, um, time and effort, sometimes it's not worth it. So, you know, if, if someone wants a, a simple website, it's okay. Uh, they, they can get in, in a short amount of time, but that's not a good way of building a business. Um, so I, I moved more to a e-commerce because, um, I got introduced to search engine optimization. Uh, you know, the web has changed over the past 10 years. Um, and it was niching into another kind of industry of it's not only a website, it's a little bit of marketing included, a little bit of design. So it's pulling aspects of uh, pieces that I like to do and bundling them up into one core service. That's the one thing I would say, right? Like ideas are free. Implementation is, is what you get paid, paid to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, I could give you a list of a thousand ideas, right? But it, you know, it's, they're not special. There's, uh, you know, it's the, the people who are willing to actually get the work done. That's that's the value um, mm-hmm. of, of an idea.
0: Absolutely. And that's where your solution, your pricing strategy, all of that comes into play um, with building that business to cater to that specific target audience.
1: Yeah. And the benefit of, I would say, watching the web transform um, as I, as I did is understanding the needs of people and, and how they've changed and it's repetition, right? You do something for a hundred times and you realize I can do it a better way. So when people come to me now and say, Hey, um, I have this, a really amazing idea. I have this clothing brand. I want to start, right? Okay. I need a website. I need a handful of things, uh, to get done. I said, well, you know, I can, I can start a t-shirt brand, right? Easy, easy enough. You can get some t-shirts printed, right? But h- how do you differentiate yourself? Like what's, what's your value add? What's, um, how, how, what's your competitive advantage? So it's, it's reading into those, uh, and kind of learning about that side of business analysis is, is what gave me, I think, an upper hand and, and the ability to say like, okay, I've seen 20 you know, low-cost T-shirt manufacturers do it this way, right? How are you going to be a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you can take any type of business and do an analysis on it and and say, this is, you know, low-end, high-end. You can, you know, you can compare Apple, for example, to um, as your ultra. Uh, luxury brand of of phones right back in the day I would say they're kind of equal to Samsung now but you know there was always the the cheap Chinese phones uh, Huawei for example that came out that was kind of your budget brand Mm -hmm. so it's it's all uh, a part of the market and how you understand it
0: yeah when you decided to continue growing your business and you know you're in high school now. Your business is growing. What's next for you? How did you make that decision to decide to go to university or continue building your business as a young entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I always knew uh, I wanted to code. And I always knew that I, I wanted to do this anyways, and, and I could. Um, but my, my big passion was space and engineering, engineering, um, and I really wanted to become an astronaut, or to do something and build robots and and kind of uh, learn. And I realized that you you couldn't really do that just reading books um, at the library or just online. Uh, again, it's the industry has changed. You know, there's online university courses you can take. There, there was none of that stuff ten years ago. Um, so, and getting the experience in university and saying, okay, if if all else fails, I'll have something to fall back on. But at least I have a university degree. Right. There's there's something there's something to back me. Right. Um, even if I don't decide to to continue in, in that process. And I think going to university uh, really helped because it instilled that work ethic and critical thinking uh, that I basically use on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. One of the funny stories you told me um, when we were just getting ready for the podcast was you kind of doing business in one of your business classes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tell tell our audience about what it was like running your business while at university um, as a student, because, we know, the student life is incredibly busy. How did you do it? Uh,
1: it was it's a really interesting question. Um, in between classes and in classes uh, so it, it depended really on the class if it was you know a long economics class that was from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And you didn't really have to pay attention because uh, the whole lecture was recorded and you can go back and rewatch it and something was kind of due, uh, work on that um, there's a funny story one of my professors actually caught me typing and uh, called me out uh, and he was like, get off of Facebook. And I was like, sir, I'm not on Facebook. I'm actually writing uh, an email to a client. And he goes, oh, like, what is this about? And I was like, well, this is going to pay for my tuition this, this semester. So I, I really need to get this email out. And uh, he stopped class and he came up and this was a class of, you know, 40 students. So it wasn't that big. And everyone's like, oh, God, here we go. And uh, he came by and he was like, oh, you're actually writing email and I was like yeah this is an email to a vendor and I was like it's a overseas vendor so I really need to get this done so they can reply to me so I can get my product shipped in Um, and uh, he actually he he told me to come see him after class and he helped me write the email and structure the email properly and and then we had a discussion about uh, you know uh, foreign communications uh, and how other cultures deem email and how they handle communications and you know, the types of salutations you have to use and so on and so forth. So it was interesting, but it was kind of like a shock to him and a shock to me that I'm, I was happy that he was cool about it. But it was definitely just like, OK, I need to figure out how to reprioritize my time because I can't keep doing this in class. So definitely before class, early morning, 6 a.m.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic professor, though, to um, have helped you after figuring out that, you know, you are running your own business and you were quite transparent about it. Cause I've been called out in class about other things myself, like painting my fingernails, (laughs) Um, not as important as what you were doing for sure. But I completely understand like being that distraction, being called out and, but what you were doing was so important and you're finding that time as a business owner kind of multitask not to say everyone should do this during their university classes no please
1: don't (laughs) pay attention
0: Yeah, everyone should pay attention. But it's great to see that the motivation has continued and been so consistent with what you do. Because a lot of success comes from consistency and just plugging away and being smart about it and getting help and taking those opportunities when they actually show up.
1: Exactly. I see a lot of people saying, oh, I'll start this later. I'm not ready. You know, I need to learn a little bit more about, you know, X, Y and Z. And it's uh, that's actually not the case. Like you could start something really suck at it and then you only get better with practice, right? Practice makes improvement. Uh, Practice doesn't make perfect. So it's it's consistently showing up every day, every other day, hopefully every day uh, to get the things you need to get done. And if you don't know uh, in 2022, there's a vast amount of resource and information online. you know, just it's a click, click away. How to you know do X, Y, Z? Uh, there's multiple courses, uh, online university classes you can take and audit for free, or just watch some random person on on YouTube, um, and they'll they'll teach you, right?
0: Yeah. Most definitely. So this is a lot about the background of you, Tamar, as kind of a really young entrepreneur, your story going through um, and building your technology company, which was helping people build websites and learn the web and build their businesses that way. Where did that company end in a few years? Like, how did you exit that company?
1: So um, it was a development company that I uh, kind of sold my client list to another developer that was just kind of starting out and I was seeing uh, really good work from them um, and I wanted to transition to to focus on other things and finish off my uh, you know university year and I was going into the workforce and I said you know this is a lot of hassle to, to kind of keep up with at this point I I, I want to kind of pursue Um, other avenues and I I could always start it up again right I have the blueprints I have the you know I've done this before if I wanted to I can I start it up again right so there's that handoff period of here's my client list here's you know what my monthly support bill was um, and it kind of guide them through that and you know just enjoy life and see what was uh, what was what was out there for me. Uh, Funny enough, I kept getting referrals of, hey, I know someone who's starting a brand or, hey, I know someone that needs your help. Can you have a conversation with them? So it shifted more from actually doing the work to to more consulting and doing strategy, which is uh, what I do uh, now. Mostly it's cloud strategy.
0: That's fantastic because you built that reputation yourself, you know. You didn't necessarily have a direct university background to do all of that. And in that, I think a great question is, do you think entrepreneurs were... Are they born or are they made based on your own experience and sort of your experience with working with a lot of entrepreneurs?
1: There's definitely a certain type of person that could really shine as an entrepreneur. I think everybody can be an entrepreneur. Uh, just circumstances dictate, uh, you know, uh, if you're more risk averse, you might be a little bit more scared to start or, you know, uh, a little bit more frantic. Uh, it's, I think being an entrepreneur is about understanding that you might not know what the next step is but you're going to go ahead and figure it out yourself. Uh, It's about showing up consistently. It's about having a passion project, right? That's turning into uh, a business um, or an income and just understanding that at the end of the day, um, you know, you're doing this for you and and not for someone else, right? So if, if you don't want to work that day, all the consequences that come with you not working that day fall entirely up to you right now i mean if if you god forbid end up in a hospital or something happens to you or whatnot if you're just lazy right uh you know not hitting your monthly targets or not being able to pay your bills or something like that that's entirely up to you so
0: yeah absolutely i think that's a really great take on it because like you said some personalities and some people will probably naturally just thrive in that space like yourself and be intuitive enough to kind of identify opportunities easily understand what it takes to solve those problems but any entrepreneur is a problem solver and we as human we are natural problem solvers so it's taken that and monetizing it ultimately and building a business that way
1: yeah the step by step is you know understanding that there's a problem that you can solve right uh, building out the solution to that problem, figuring out who your customer market is, and then go pitch them the solution, right? And uh, not worry about what anybody else other than your kind of target customer or target market is saying, because you know if you're asking your your, your parents or your friends if something looks nice, it's you know it might it might not appeal to them, but someone just kind of wants something to work, and they don't really care about. Uh, you know, putting it in a pretty package, whatever it is, uh, then they'll pay for it, right? Uh, And it's it's not being 100% ready, but it's, you know, being 80% of the way there and just kind of starting and doing it and things will fall into place.
0: Yeah, and that feedback becomes paramount to how your business grows and evolves because your initial idea, I know my initial idea for my company right now is actually know where where it is um because it has evolved and it like you said it takes time when you're talking to your right customers you're getting the right feedback to make those good and important decisions
1: yeah absolutely um i think at least the last two years um everyone's gotten a crash course on a quick pivot and uh understanding that the market landscape like shifts right underneath your feet and you have to be able to adapt quickly so
0: yeah and for right now what we're gonna do is take a quick break um because we're learning about adapted and this is the perfect segue i think into talking about kawaha company because we kind of talked about you tamar as an entrepreneur your first venture and now kawaha company and where we're going with this perfect time for a short ad break do you like coffee but hate when it gets to the end of your bag of course you do well i have a solution for you it's kahawa The Kahawa team wants you to live your best life and stay caffeinated with affordable specialty coffees from East Africa. It gets even better. With their 500 gram bag, you get 10 more cups of coffee than those traditional bags. Kahawa is your place to explore all the wonderful taste notes of coffee for only $20 a bag. You can't go wrong. Your Kahawa coffee is roasted locally in Hamilton when you order and delivered fresh to your door. Use code HIVE10, that's H-I-V-E 10, for a 10% discount off of your first order. And we're back to continue our conversation with Tamar on Kahawa Company Um, and tell us Tell us a bit more about Kahawa and even the name.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So the name, um, the origins of the name um, are Swahili. Uh, It means coffee. Uh, And Kahwa in Arabic is coffee as well. So uh, my business partner and I kind of combined the name to, you know, a literal English translation of the coffee company.
0: Love it, love it. And from being in technology, what brought you into this space of, I mean, coffee?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, anybody in engineering will tell you they have a caffeine addiction. Uh, But besides that point is uh, I had the opportunity to go to a trip to Kenya to to visit my uh, friend and business partner. uh, And it was an amazing excursion. And we just couldn't get enough of the coffee uh, in the region. So we tried, you know, coffee from Kenya, from Ethiopia, from from Rwanda, from all over the place. And it was just mind blowing, you know, of the different flavor notes and the quality. Um, And then he's had this idea in the back of his head for the past almost seven years now. Uh, And when I came back to to Canada after a couple of years, you know, I get a phone call. Hey, I, I need help with a website. I was like, you know what? I love coffee so much. Uh, I'm not going to build your website for you. Like, we need to run this thing together because I think it's amazing. Um, Because coming back to Canada, I didn't really find that type of coffee. It was either very expensive or um, inaccessible uh, at different ranges, especially here in Hamilton. You know, you'd have to go to, um, you know, a fancy little shop in Toronto uh, to get kind of the same... Uh, experience of the quality of coffee. Uh, thankfully, things have changed, right, uh, for the better. And um, the idea of the coffee company was basically bring the gems of East Africa and showcase them to the Canadian market because we thought there was not enough of it um, or any at all.
0: Wow. And so this was seven years in the making from when you first had the idea of um building a coffee company or just when you went to Ethiopia at that time?
1: So, uh, so I went, yeah, when I went to Kenya, so my business partners had this idea for at least seven years of, of okay. thinking of, you know, bringing that kind of um, quality of good uh, into Canada because every time he'd come back, he'd be like, oh, you know, Tim Hortons, okay, McDonald's, Starbucks, like th- that was kind of really our only option until you, you had to really dig deep and, and find some coffee that, that was unique in its characteristic um, so, uh, he works really closely with the, with the farms there. Um, and you know, he's, he was talking about it and it just a happenstance, uh, that it was the right time to do it. Um, so, uh, we started three years ago, uh, a little before the pandemic and, uh, we've, we've been working on it ever since, you know, trying to, to, to grow the market, to educate individuals about coffee and about the quality of coffee and, and you know we've changed our approach a little bit. We wanted to, to wholesale uh, directly to, to businesses and importers and coffee roasters and, and you know we, we're bringing it now uh, to the wider audience, to the public, to the end consumer.
0: So this is a niche market in the Canadian landscape and we want to make sure you wanted to make sure that you know East African coffee had a space here how did you determine if the market size in Canada was big enough for that
1: Uh good question um, a lot of analysis I think uh, really digging deep uh, looking at the statistics statistics show that coffee is growing um, a lot of specialty coffee shops have uh, started to open up and the story has been changing to you know drive uh, the the quality of coffee up we're mm-hmm. now in our kind of Fourth wave of of specialty coffee, um, and understanding you know the relationship of the farmers to the exporters to the end consumer, and uh, really seeing the the big picture of of where small mom and pop shops or even you know mid-sized coffee shops are going to go, gave us the um, the kind of footing that you know we we would be okay entering this market and we believe strongly in the quality of the coffee that we're bringing that you know if you had a a cup or you had a sip you would generally enjoy it enough to switch over and that's where our price anchoring to not be wholly expensive but kind of in the middle range of affordability um, because it's not cheap but it's also affordable to the mass market where you can go out buy a bag try it And if you like it, you like it. That's great. You buy another one. It's not going to break your wallet. Um, But if you don't like it, then, you know, there might be something else out there for you.
0: Yeah. When you decided to sort of, you know, there was enough space in the Canadian market to bring in East African um, coffee, what was your next step from there in determining who would be your customers and how would you design the company from that perspective, knowing the story you wanted to tell in bringing coffee over, how was that unique compared to other coffees in market at the time?
1: So for anybody starting a business, I highly recommend the um, lean business model. You know, you could do a SWOT analysis, you could do a whole business plan, but I like the lean business model because it breaks down the the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, very quickly and efficiently on one page so um, you know list list your problem what's your solution to this problem what's your unique value proposition what's your advantage you know where your are um, how are you going to sell your path to the customers your cost structure and your revenue streams and always go through and do your competitor analysis in detail you could Uh, Talk to end customers or end consumers, you could talk to your competition. When we were trying to figure out, you know, what coffee was in the market, we researched all the top uh, importers, uh, the big roasters in Canada and the U.S. as well, and we visited coffee shop after coffee shop after coffee shop. You know, I must have had 10 coffees one day just walking around in Toronto, to be honest, and just having conversations with the baristas or, you know, if um, the, the the roaster was in the coffee shop, just have a conversation with them and see what what they were interested in, um, ask them questions about how they sourced the coffee and kind of get a feedback of, is this product going to sell? And in doing so, we actually pre-sold some coffee before we received that at the port, which was amazing. What we found that coffee's generally sourced from east africa in canada you know had to go through a middleman from the co-ops and then through an exporter uh, from the region then you get the importer in canada and that's what the roaster buys from so there's a lot of steps that we could bypass and that was kind of our competitive advantage and uh, we could beat out the price so that we are competitive and we you know, supply uh, a better a better bean or even the same one, and uh, everybody wins from the farmer down to uh, us, the roasters, and the end consumer.
0: And that's the whole like logistics and business plan aspect that's of it. N-
1: my my uh, business partner, he's the genius behind the logistics. I just know a little bit, you know. Uh, and uh, it's if it wasn't for him, I don't think uh, you know we'd be in the position where we are today. Mine is kind of marketing tech how do we set it up um, and kind of day to day more operations both him and I will uh, will handle but he's kind of the mastermind of the logistics like he'll explain something to me and I'll be like okay that's interesting but like you know great
0: I trust you to do it <laughs> you go do it you know
1: <laughs> talk to whoever you need to talk to sign, sign whatever document you need to sign and just tell me you know when what we're you know what we've said we're going to buy when is it leaving, you know, uh, Mombasa Port? And uh, when is it, you know, coming into Montreal? Like, that's really all I care about. Everything else, that's that's for you to handle, right? Yeah. It's knowing that kind of um, what you're good at and what you have to defer to someone else who has that expertise, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, very important. or and else you would get a great partnership. Yeah, and you get bogged down in, you know, I don't need to get bogged down in those details because mm-hmm. there's other work that needs to get done, right? And work's yeah. never done.
0: Yeah, so. I love that. And what makes East African coffee so unique, in in your opinion? What is it about the farmers and the quality of the product itself that differentiates itself? Tell us their story.
1: So Africa is the birthplace of coffee, uh, specifically Ethiopia. It has a wide variety of flavor notes and unique characteristics uh, formed from the high altitude um, in the volcanic regions where most of the coffee is grown. Um, They're mainly characterized as having a vibrant, fruity and floral taste profile. The coffee takes a long time to develop at the higher altitudes, where the cooler temperatures slow down the growth rate of the coffee plant. Uh, This allows the coffee uh, to focus more on reproduction, uh, producing more of the sugars that create those unique tasting notes uh, in our favorite coffees. And I also have to give a shout out to the farmers as well, as they play a large role as most of the coffee we source from is small plots of land called small-hold farms.
0: Tell us a bit about how you're working with farmers in Eastern Africa and sustainability efforts around working with them in the way the coffee is grown and developed that makes you a little bit different from other coffee companies.
1: Sure. Um... We like to take a little bit of a direct approach and work with partners and, and co-ops. Um, and we're trying to implement a feedback loop of understanding you know um, what the customers are saying and what we've seen in the coffee and trying to give back and uh, give some suggestions. Now, um, a lot of co-ops uh, that we're working with are already doing their own uh, research uh, and sustainability efforts. They're trying to go into uh, making sure that, you know, the coffee is there for the next generation and they're not abusing the land. So a lot of shade grown coffee, there's a lot of cross uh, pollination with different type of uh, trees or plants. So you'll see a lot of coffee being grown with um, uh, corn or a lot of uh, banana trees. that will give it some nice shade. One, it gives uh, the soil different nutrients. Right. Protects the coffee trees from from the harsh sunlight sometimes. Um, prevents from pests, and it also gives the farmers uh, more yield for them to either, you know, sell the bananas or kind of benefit from from the bananas, uh, you know, just eating them as nutrients. Uh, and we want to set up a, like, financial aid and have the cooperatives um, build up and improve their facilities and the, the way they work um, from, you know, uh, picking or sorting the coffee to kind of processing the coffee and then giving the feedback back to the farmers, right? If it's, you know, introducing uh, fertilizer, like organic fertilizer, if it's doing like pest control, just giving them the resources they need um, and to, to become better, right? And and continue the state uh, sustainability because we want to work with farmers on a long-term basis. This is not just, you know, we, we buy from this person once or this co-op once and then kind of forget about them it's about long-term relationships and the only way to build long-term relationships is to have sustainability in mind right like what's the coffee going to look like in five years six years ten years down the road
0: and when we talk about sustainability around coffee we know this is a huge conversation because the production of coffee requires a lot of water which is one of our scarcest resources in the world right now When it comes to how the coffee's actually grown um, and produced at these farms and interweaving different plants like the banana plant, what does that do for um, the soil and the sustainability a little bit more directly for those coffee farmers?
1: Right, you're introducing uh, nutrients, you're introducing a little bit of diversity in the soil. I'm not an agro specialist scientists but from from what i understand is you know a lot of uh, our planting here will like destroy the soil because they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again and like uh, leaching the nutrients out of the soil so this a little uh, helps alleviate that and helps create you know a little bit of biodiversity and a whole cycle uh, which is what we we'd like to see um, a lot of uh, some of the coffees uh, for example a new uganda kaseke we're we're getting in is right beside a protected land um, off the side of the mountain. So, uh, you know, you have to be very conscious about how you farm because, you know, the, the, the water that you're getting uh, from the streams and the lake and the river, right, they provide um, water to a whole um, area of people and also to um, a protected landmass, So that's very important for the farmers themselves and for us to understand, like, you know, the, the more careful we are in the way we source and, and the more careful that the farmers are in the way they uh, produce is going to have a lasting impact on us. Like we've seen, um, you know, floods and droughts all over the world um, and it's it's starting to become a big issue and an impact and already is been a big issue. So we want to kind of continue the effort year over year and learn from it. We're not experts, obviously. We need, we need to learn as well and uh, and help, right? It's, it's about the more people that know, the more people that care, the more people that will help implement.
0: And how are you weaving this story? Because I think it's such an important part. Like you said, it's sustainability is important for your business. It's important for the farmers. And it's important for every human being on earth yeah. at this point. How are you bringing those stories of the farmers to life in your everyday business with working with um, the different co-ops, your buyers, and direct consumers?
1: So it's all about education. Uh, We're starting um, a whole series on educating uh, our end consumers uh, through social media posts. You'll see a lot through uh, a lot of blog posting now that we're going to do just planning everything out for the year Uh, sustainability report. Hopefully by next year we'll have kind of a consolidated effort of, you know, what we've done and what we've accomplished. Uh, but it's bringing those stories to the front, right? Uh, Actually being there, uh, you know, uh, we are planning a trip out uh, soon uh, to go to Kenya um, and hopefully, you know, talk to the farmers and get their stories and and understand more um, and bringing that information back and showcasing it and working with partners uh, around the world uh, to kind of create a hub of knowledge uh, and a place where, You know, where you buy your coffee, you kind of feel comfortable and and, and happy to to provide, you know, your monetary uh, spending to to a a group that's trying to help uh, the environment. Mm
0: -hmm. Time for a short ad break. Imagine being transported to the Rwanzuri National Park with our new Uganda Kaseke, then to the Sadamo region of Ethiopia. With just two bags of coffee and free shipping? How can you say no? Get the Kahawa subscription and regularly explore affordable specialty East African coffees. Pick and choose from a unique curated list of specialty coffees, whether you drink it light, medium, dark, or even decaf. Kahawa has it stocked for you. Sign up for the Kahawa subscription today and get your choice of two bags of coffee. One filter, one espresso, no problem. You can mix and match and switch it up from month to month. You can pause or even skip at any time. The pay-as-you-go model is perfect if you're unsure or just don't go through your coffee fast enough. Visit us at kahawa-company.com to get started. That's Kahawa, K-A-H-A-W-A dash company dot com or grab the link in the episode description. Get started. What kind of role do you think um, Kahawa is going to play in the role of, you know, coffee and the engagement of its consumers? Are your end consumers Outside of just the knowledge that they'll have about coffee and how it's grown and why they should support your brand, are there other ways that you think that these end consumers can participate and potentially directly interact with um, the farmers directly?
1: Yeah, we're focusing our efforts in social media and working through some long-form blog posts to bring the farmer's stories to life. Because we have a closer relationship and boots on the ground, so to speak, We have a unique opportunity in showcasing stories you might not hear. The goal is to do a little bit more traveling now that restrictions are lifted and to interview the farmers in the different regions and show the process end to end. By the end of next year, we hope to have a sustainability report that covers the great work we are planning to accomplish. You know, our goal is to make sure you feel more connected to the farmers that grow your coffee and tea with every sip you take.
0: You've been in this business for three years now, um, this September 2019 is when you started. When COVID came around March or so, um, it came out of nowhere for most of us. What did that mean for the business so early on? How did it impact you and what kind of changes did you make um, going into it and now that we're out of it?
1: I wouldn't say we're quite out of it, but hopefully we are. Uh, But at the beginning, uh, you know, we had a plan and it's always good to have a plan. Uh, But, you know, things things change very quickly and it's understanding the market as a whole. Uh, And, you know, we came in and thought of we're just going to be the wholesalers wholesaler, right? Like we're going to be the supplier supplier. Um, And it came to the realization that, look, coffee shops are closed, right? Uh, ninety percent of the business is gone, and uh, what are we what are we thinking of doing? And it's like, well, next step was to do business to consumer. So you know what? We're no longer focused on B two B right now. We're focused on B two C, and it's we kind of had the the layout of how we wanted to do it, um, and it's just taking those points and and creating that action plan literally in a span of a couple of days of, okay, here's our situation, not really freaking out about it, but just understanding that this is, this is where we are. Um, and we, we have to be able to accommodate and understand that if our clients are closed, uh, their end end consumers aren't. So we could still, we could still, um, create the coffee, right. Uh, roast the coffee and then ship it out. So, most of it was a little bit at the beginning, was trying to find a, an actual location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got really lucky uh, and fortunate enough uh, to, to be where we are right now in Ancaster Business Park. But then it's everything else, right? Uh, okay, you know, get the, the coffee bags designed, get the coffee bags delivered, uh, make sure that, you know, the, the coffee that we were ordering was not going to get stuck in any ports. Uh, and that was. Um, a big part for the last couple of uh, last year or so is you know all the delays and all the expenses in shipping is to kind of understand where we can play with with our margins because we are trying to be and are the affordability um, a specialty coffee uh, that's that's affordable excuse me um, and and making sure that you know we give the end consumer, um the the information and the product that they can uh, fairly enjoy and that we can facilitate those kind of conversations so um it's been a whirlwind and uh we're glad to get in some some good ground floor right now of some some equal footing and understand that you know we're probably not going in for another round of closures and then we can expand the business so we're, we're very focused on uh launching our subscription program uh, ensuring that you know both uh, roasted and green bean coffee uh, has a place in the market right now uh, for our end consumers, and then growing out the business-to-business as well.
0: Amazing. So you didn't even waste that business plan because you still have that opportunity to go back to B2B, even though your main focus right now is B2C and ensuring that you have that mass market that you can you can interact with
1: yeah it definitely took a little bit of of thinking and and kind of like you know pressure to hit the ground running of okay what do we do now right Mm -hmm. Uh, how do we how do we pivot but we we had a big picture plan and you know big picture is easy on paper but it's okay right all the steps down and you know let's let's hit the ground running let's let's walk through everything that we need to do and kind of keep going from there
0: That's amazing. And this is where I think a lot of business owners... Um, and a lot of businesses in general struggled when COVID came through is that ability to pivot and see what other opportunities your business has and you can adjust and quickly um, start addressing so you can continue to stay in business. And that was a great pivot um, on you guys' behalf. And you had the, oh, thank you. the resources and the expertise with yourself on the team. That's you're the marketing sort of internet Um, technology person and then you have your partner who is still managing the logistics when supply chains fell apart um, things were stuck all over the world because of um, COVID and a lot of regulations but it's it's really exciting to see you come through that moment where we know thousands and thousands of businesses died especially new ones, and, and you were able to make it through to this point. I know we might not be fully out of COVID, but um, it's, I, I think it's inspiring to see what a pivot can do and how you can still leverage the ex- existing things you have. And it's just simply repositioning them to address a different market.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I think it is uh, important to acknowledge that the last two years have definitely been a struggle for, for a lot of us. Um, and especially all the business owners who um, had the rug pulled underneath them, right, of having to shutter, uh, you know, their, their store, not being able to sell, um, and the, I'm going to call it the new tech revolution. Everybody kind of learned about, you know, we need to sell, sell, sell online, um, and like set up set up some sort of storefront or, or something or or reposition themselves to, to be able to survive so um as, as i said once uh, this is a great crash course on on how to pivot right yeah. um i think a lot of business owners uh, can give valuable lessons whether they succeeded or they failed like wins and losses so
0: mm-hmm. and i feel we often learn mostly from our our losses you know yeah. wins you celebrate you did great you pat yourself on the back um but how do you do it again and yeah. repeat that? And that's where, like you said earlier as well, that consistency and that success really comes from. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: I think just because it worked once, it's not going to work again. So f- for us, it's kind of keep your head down and, and keep going
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and uh, take a bre- breath every once in a while to, to see how far we've gone. Uh, and then just, you know, uh, there's there's more things to do, right? There There's... Uh, the, the passion is large, uh, the plan is big, and uh, there's uh, the world is our oyster of, of how we want to shape it. And we really are trying to shape the conversation, create a community uh, for like minded individuals as as our as ourself uh, to, to bring coffee to the forefront and the conversations and the stories of the farmers to the forefront.
0: Mm-hmm. This is all great, and I love the success that's come out of it so far. But during this process, has there been a time where you're just like, this isn't worth it anymore? This is too much work. I bit off more than I can Uh, chew. And you're like, "Okay, let's close up shop. Things aren't looking great. Did you have that moment or did you just decide I'm going to do this regardless?
1: That's a that's a good question. I think everybody has Um, those days where they're just like you know what this is not worth it Uh, but you always have to have the end goal in mind uh, and remember like this is a little bit larger than yourself right and you've set out to do something and and do you still strongly believe in it uh, and if so that you should continue right Uh, barring any kind of you know big financial struggles or anything else um, I think uh, both of us kind of said you know what we're we're not going to falter we're just going to keep going through and yeah we've probably had some bad months right mm-hmm. uh, and, and some bad times but at the end of the day uh, the, the goal is to establish something uh, larger than ourselves and you know we're not doing this for for glory for fame for money we're, we're doing this uh, because we believe in it so it's um, I, I can't say the same thing for everybody but uh, as long as you're passionate. It's okay sometimes to sit back and take a break. Like I, I know a lot of people kind of have had to close up shop, um, but right now things are getting better. You know, you can you can always reestablish, right?
0: Yeah, because you have the right tools to yeah. do so. Amazing. So I know we have um, a little bit of information we're going to share with our audience yes. about Kawaha Company, but how can people find you? How can they taste your coffee?
1: Uh, yeah, great question. So uh, hopefully you'll see us in a, in a market close to you. Uh, but for now, uh, the best way to contact us is through our website, uh, through Instagram or Facebook, uh, Kahawa Co. Um, and on our website, kahawa-company.com, uh, where you can uh, grab a subscription, grab a bag of coffee and let us know how you think
0: amazing and this is available in Canada alone or yeah so
1: it's available in Canada and the US uh, and if you really really want it uh, and you're you're not in uh, Canada or the US uh, you know you send us an email and we'll see what we can do
0: amazing i love it tamar this has been such a great conversation and i'm incredibly inspired by you starting your first business at 13 through 15 Um, and you know selling that business, going through university, starting another business in a completely different industry. But I think the fundamentals are there as an entrepreneur for yourself, where you know that there are problems you have to solve, you have to find unique solutions. And then the ultimate challenge in 2020 that most of us had is that great pivot and what that means to build a sustainable company, build a company that's flexible. And I'm really glad you were able to share your story with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much, Tamar. We will have more information about Kawaha Company. Check the notes in the podcast and follow us at hamiltonhive.ca for more information. Thanks, everyone. A huge thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in every week to hear about our buzzworthy businesses. Don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you're listening and following us at at Hamilton Hive on all of the social media platforms. But most importantly, we want to thank our team of dedicated volunteers who make this podcast possible on a weekly basis. So here we go. Cesar Cardenia, Khalid Imam, James Clark, Trisha Ford, Ratri Toon, Kumar Patel, Fernando Rodriguez, Yvette R., and yours truly, Shalacia Harris. Don't forget to tune in next Monday for a new episode of Buzzworthy.